Welcome to special bonus episode 94B with On Japanwala. Uh, so you'll notice this is a little bit different than my normal episodes. This actually is launching midweek when my normal episode launch date is on Sundays. So On is actually an insurance broker and he'd reached out to me a couple of times over the last year and about a quarter. And uh, he wanted to come on the podcast. Now, the difference here was uh, normally I would have just had him on a, a standard episode is on hasn't taken the dive yet to personally invest in real estate, but he's really, really knowledgeable about insurance from an investor standpoint. So Ons actually helped me out. He's not my insurance broker and he's not paying for this. But what I wanted to do, since I'm not actually asking on about what he's investing in. That's not what this episode's about. This is just pure insurance information. I thought I'd just throw it out there as a bonus episode. And what I did here is I actually took people's questions. So I had a couple of people uh, send me questions on Instagram of things that they were worried about. And I also had on bring a bunch of the most common questions he gets. And uh, believe me, this guy knows what he's talking about. And regardless of who you work with for insurance, I believe that this information will be helpful. And there's going to be many questions here that that are going to be useful to you in terms of making sure that you're not taking unnecessary risk. With that being said, none of this is advice. The opinions expressed here are ons. And of course, I express some of my opinions as well, but always seek the advice of your insurance professional before making any decisions. With that being said, if you do have any questions on the topic, I know on is quite receptive and I've included his contact information in the notes below. Before we get into this, uh, a couple of things. Um, Number one, if you haven't already, grab a copy of my cash flow spreadsheet on my website, andrew-hines.com forward slash cash flow, or you can just go to andrew-hines.com and you will see the link right there. Just get comfortable with that. If you're analyzing deals, I know a lot of people are using this sheet now and it seems to be getting pretty good reviews. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it is a helpful tool. And oftentimes on the episode, I actually refer specifically to the numbers that I get from this cash flow sheet. So if you want to follow along on the various different episodes, uh, that will be useful for you. Uh, now, before we get into the episode, this is also a completely unpaid endorsement. But as you know, if you've been following this podcast, uh, I am very, very concerned with our local businesses. I have a lot of local businesses that I care deeply about, and I want to see them successful through this lockdown. And I know that this is hard on many businesses. So it's not that these people have asked me. I have offered to give them a shout out because I genuinely believe their services are fantastic. And I wanted that to share that that with you. So uh, one is uh, the guys over at New York, New York Men's Grooming Lounge here in Burlington. These guys are incredible class acts. Um, I have been going there for years and years after struggling with going to a million different people cutting my hair. I actually stuck with New York, New York because uh, Sergio over there, he does a fantastic job. These guys have a fantastic atmosphere over there, even to just go in grab a beer and uh, and sit down and chat with them. Uh, there's usually some Frank Sinatra playing in the background. And uh, prior to the lockdown, they were doing, you know, uh, manicures and, you know, a hot towel on the face, uh, really a full service, which I'd never actually gone to a place like that. And uh, ever since I've been going there, there's literally nowhere else I want to go. Um, as I've mentioned before, I would drive a very long distance just to be able to go back and see Sergio and the guys there. Uh, so they do a great job. And I would suspect that you would have a similar experience. So I just wanted to give them a shout out. I've included their information in the show notes. Please support them. 
I really do think that they're an incredible business and uh, I really appreciate what they do. So I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, another one is Dr. Mike White over at Momentum Health Clinic. He is a chiropractor that's helped me. I've injured myself terribly a few times over the last few years to the point where I couldn't even turn, could barely walk, uh, always dumb things that I've done, weightlifting. Anyways, that's a different story. But anytime that it's happened, I've gone to Dr. Mike and usually within a week, I'm fully better. So um, again, can't promise that you'd have that experience and always seek the advice of your medical professional before engaging in any treatment. This is just simply me giving you my experience. I really do appreciate your efforts to support these local businesses and any other local businesses that you think are important. And with that being said, please enjoy this special bonus episode with Anjap and Walla. I am confident it's going to answer a lot of your insurance-related questions for investors. Here we go. Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I've got Anjap and Walla. Did I say that right? You got, you, you got it perfect. All right. I've been working on it. Um, so I got that uh, got that right this time. Um, thanks for coming down. You're here to talk about insurance. Yeah, yeah. Um, first of all, thanks so much for having me, Andrew. This yeah. is um, this is a super. I'm super excited to be on yeah. the show. Well, we've been getting experts on the show, nice. and um, and this is a little bit different because I don't believe you're a real estate investor right now. Not at the moment. Yeah, but uh, but you work with investors a lot. Yeah. So I thought, why not do a Q and A uh, style episode? So that's what this will be. It won't be a normal uh, episode length because we probably won't need a full episode for it. But cool. um, I definitely want to dive into these these uh, questions. So could you just tell me a cool. little bit about um, what you do in insurance? Like, are you a, are you working for a brokerage or do you work directly for an insurance company? Great question. Um, most people don't even know the difference between them. Um, so I actually work for a brokerage, uh, Line and Butler Insurance Brokers, and uh, the difference between brokerage and an agent. You kind of touched on it in your question, which is agents you're working with uh, one direct company. You're working for the company directly. Um, while in a brokerage, you're representing and mm-hmm. working for the client and helping them um, and helping them find the best options available for them. So in the mortgage world, it's a similar setup. You could be a mortgage broker and you have access to multiple lenders. Uh, of course, if you work directly for one of the lenders, you might get preferential deal treatment, uh, things like that. Is it similar in the insurance world? Like if you work directly for one of the companies, they, they treat those deals a bit better? Uh, yes and no. There is, I've, I've seen both sides of it. Uh, sometimes it works out in, in the favor of the client. Um, you know, especially you, you'll see a lot of agencies dealing with, um, you know, they'll have their primary residence, insure, primary home and auto insured mm-hmm. with them. And they picked up one or two residential buildings, you know, yeah. and they'll just add it on to their existing policy. Okay. So in certain circumstances, then maybe, but otherwise brokers get, get really good, good deals. Yeah. We have options available yeah. and we're not limited to the market, like just with one company. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, you know, there's different variations of coverages and price yeah. and all that fun stuff in there. Okay. So, and the reason I wanted to have you here, just so everyone knows, this is not a paid promo. This is, uh, this is me bringing on, on because I think it's important information and we need to talk about it. Um, insurance is one of those things where if you didn't have your place properly insured and it were to burn down and say you didn't have full replacement costs and you couldn't afford to rebuild your building, you could be in a real pickle. You know, the insurance company only wants to give you 250, but it's going to cost you 500 to, to rebuild. Um, that's a situation I had a couple of good conversations with good insurance brokers and I'm like, whoa, I didn't even know that. Like, I didn't realize that uh, number one thing I hear (laughs) and I'm just parroting what I've heard is not all insurance is equal um, and you got to compare apples to apples. So uh, it's a it's an education piece. It's something that I've uh, been learning more about. And of course, you know more than I do. So 
Um, I'm going to ask you some of the questions. So you gave me a list of questions that were like your your top questions. Yeah. And I had some questions for my my uh, Instagram followers. So awesome. we're going to do both today. And uh, and anything else that comes out of that, we'll talk about. So sweet. All right. So the first one you you said, uh, why is the amount of insurance for my building different than uh, what I paid? And I'm assuming you're talking about the replacement cost on exactly. the policy. Exactly. So that's a common question that pops up often is you know, some, a lot of our, I'm sure you you know this, so that a lot of investors pick up properties that are old, run down, they picked it up for you know pennies on the dollar, essentially. And they'll when they go to get their insurance done, you know, for example, they picked up a property for 150K. Um, they'll be, they'll talk to the insurance broker and say, listen, we need, uh, this is my property. The insurance broker is going to do a calculation, the reconstruction calculation on the property. That property to rebuild may cost 250. Um, so the accurate amount to insure is not what you paid for, but what it would cost if the place, let's say, burnt down and had to be built back. Yeah. And anyone who's who regularly watches the podcast, you'll hear me talk about buying stuff under replacement cost. And I, I think it's a great advantage to be able to buy under a replacement cost. Of course, if it ever burns down, you want to make sure you're insured for full replacement cost. Yeah. <laughs> That's my field. Not everybody's going to agree because you can certainly get cheaper insurance. Yeah. Because how does that work? So over time, they'll just basically um, say, well, you know, it's not new anymore. You were going to have to refresh it. So they'll only give you like 65% of, of full replacement costs. I know that's probably a crude oversimplification. Yes. So, so essentially what happens is that if, you're, if, you per, if, you pick, if you bought a property and you had it insured for, you know, the actual reconstruction value is 200000 You went and got it insured for 200000 a good insurance policy will actually revisit that every year to two years and update the reconstruction cost on it, which usually means it goes up. The reconstruction value goes up on it every year. Um, and so does your premium. Exactly. So yeah. it's oftentimes reflective of it, but you can kind of sometimes offset it by adding, like, you know, for you may end up qualifying for discounts, like loyalty discount and all that other stuff. You know, talk to your broker. There may be discounts you may have overlooked, updates and stuff you might have done. Okay, yeah. So that's just an important thing. Uh, so what's it called if it's not uh, not full replacement cost? What's the other version? Actual cash value. Uh, actual value. So they just look at what it's worth now. So that's uh, important distinction. I would say one of the most critical things I learned about insurance. Um, I didn't know the name of it, but I knew there was a difference. Uh, I, I speak in broken terms sometimes when it comes to this stuff. So good. Um, okay, so what's the difference between uh, okay a replacement cost and guaranteed replacement cost? So we just covered that. So we just touched this touch base on this. So guaranteed replacement cost is an often is 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 only available on your personal residence, not on investment properties. Um, and what the difference is that people often you see the word replacement and they think replacement cost and guaranteed replacement cost are identical. Um, that's far from the truth. Guaranteed replacement cost, like I mentioned, is only available on your primary residence, the residence you live in. Um, and what that essentially means is that, let's say, insurance company told you the house cost five hundred thousand to build, you insured for five hundred thousand. It ends up burning three months later down. I mean, you got to be kind of unlucky if the house keeps burning down. But let's say it burns down three months later, and the insurance company comes out and says, "Okay, well, you had it insured at uh, you know five hundred thousand. You have guaranteed uh, replacement cost." That means if it costs five hundred and twenty-five thousand to build, the insurance company will pay the extra twenty-five thousand out of the po- out of their pockets and cover you. Replacement cost essentially means you insured it for five hundred thousand, um, and you, it costs five twenty-five to build. 
the insurance company is only giving you up to 500,000. Yeah, okay. So that's that's a good distinction too. And I I didn't know that. I didn't know there was such thing where they're ever going to give you more than you insured it for. Yeah, yeah. Um okay, so that's that's good to know. Okay, so can a standard landlord policy cover my renovations? That's a good one because I know that's come up for me. That's quite so it's a yes and no question. So yes and no answer in this. So depending on the type of policy you have, if you have a standard let's say landlord's policy, sometimes they'll give you um, coverage for you know thirty days or sixty days for minor renovations. It'll say renovations for on the policy, but it's usually just minor renovations. Once you start taking down structures, uh, start doing a gut job or doing a full out renovation, you actually need to get something called a builder's risk policy, also known as course of construction. And oftentimes, landlords are under the assumption that oh, I already have my building insured, uh, you know, I have a landlord's policy, so this is covered underneath it. Not necessarily. Even if it says renovations, it may be only be covering for minor renovations. So do you think there are a lot of people out there that are just have a regular rental policy? They decide to like add an addition or semi-gut and don't get a special uh, uh, policy for that? Uh, unfortunately, yeah. There's, there's, that's unfortunately that true. It happens quite often. And that's a discussion that I have almost weekly with, with investors who call me up uh, asking me questions. Hey, can I, you know, I've budgeted when I bought my policy, I was doing my numbers. I budgeted for, you know, a premium for a landlord's policy. Uh, but the sad fact is a builder's risk policy is what they will need when they're doing such as like a fix and flip. And a builder's risk policy can be almost five times, uh, you know, give or take. It's, it's, yeah, way, it's, it's, way, it's way more expensive because it's, you know, covering the project while it's being renovated. Yeah, yeah. You could be three, four thousand dollars on a on a quick, you know, flip or renovation. So, yeah, yeah you need you need to be aware of that. It's no sense. There's no sense in my mind in taking that ridiculous risk of of not being insured right because have you seen scenarios where they just wouldn't insure a person at all um yeah people who've had like extreme extreme claims um the types of renovations they're doing um the people they're the trades they're hiring bringing them on um all these can be a factor in an insurance company declining it okay yeah i mean again why would the insurance company want to pay it out if it if it violates the terms exactly so i I think it's just understand your your policy talk to your broker make sure you're very very clear on what it allows you to do what it doesn't i heard this wisdom said to me and it makes a lot of sense like don't hide things from your insurance broker (laughs) why would you do that like if if it's inaccurate insurance then you're not covered right so well uh, you might not be yeah so so there's a a common fear when when at least i find that there's a common fear when investors are talking to me um that they're afraid to disclose stuff as if i'm going to find it and say like you guys are going to be done for um it's better to have those difficult conversations with your broker before the policy is set up than having it after and finding out about the stuff after a loss happens because after a loss happens the insurance company is pulling up the paperwork and said listen we insured you for a landlord's policy that this place is rented out uh, but you're doing my you're doing renovations on this we're not covering the house being burnt down good luck yeah, you know, and that would, that would break some people, right? Like, yeah, imagine like a five hundred thousand dollar loan outstanding, and you have no asset. Yeah, and you can't this unless you have the cash sitting around to be able yeah. to build it. You're pretty much going to be filing for bankruptcy very, very fast. Yeah, that, that would sink a lot of people. So, I mean, that's that's why I thought this was important. Like, I, I know no one wants to talk about this. <laughs> if I'm being fair, yeah, no, um, it's it's a, it's a fair concept. Yeah. I always tell people, look, insurance is the necessary evil that you need. Yeah, um, and 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 you know, if you're going to get insurance. Get the right one. So you, yeah. you're paying. You're paying money, and you want it to be responsive when it's needed. You don't want to be in the position of paying. You know, trying to skimp out on what the premium you're paying monthly, 
and not being able to sleep peacefully at night because you don't know if a claim happens, you're covered or not. Yeah. Might as well not get the insurance policy at that time. One thing I'll skip on is uh, I'll just do a higher deductible. Because to me, like I... I know what happens when you make insurance claims like you're going to go your rates are going to go up. So to me, unless it's something massive that I can't afford not to claim, I'm of that's my strategy. I'm not recommending this. That's what I do. And that's a great that's a great strategy. And uh, it's a common tip. What I say is like, find your risk tolerance um, and see if you have that type of cash just sitting in a bank. Knock on wood, if something happens, let's say you have your you know standard deductibles on a policy are anywhere from thousand and you can increase it as much as you want. Um, but, you know, let's say if you have a $1,000 deductible or, or you want to increase to 2500 talk to your broker and ask, see how much money you'll save. Because if you're saving very minute amounts, it may not make sense to bump it up to yeah. 2500 But it may be, a, may be a significant jump where you're going, okay, well, I'm saving quite a bit on each property and I got 10 properties. It adds up. Yeah, and that's 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 my thought. So I saved a good chunk this year by increasing from twenty five hundred to to five thousand. And actually, nice. you even mentioned that that was a good idea to me. Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, you know, that's that's a good savings to me because, I mean, if I'm not going to file something for ten grand, right. I mean, I, I'm probably going to be you know fifteen and up. That's where I'm going to start uh, thinking about it. But even though I, I might not, I really just it really just depends because what's going to happen. I mean, I've had you know I've had a few things happen that I've just said you know what I'm. I'm just going to eat this. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to file a file for that. And I think that's the better way to go. Makes insurance companies like me a, a bit more. Um, so, anyways, <laughs> uh, okay. So my building is vacant. Do I have to tell my insurance broker? I think this one's kind of uh, alluding to. Yes, you do. But yeah. go ahead and explain yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. So, oftentimes, people who are doing projects, they've renovated it. They put, you know, they've got the vacant. The house is vacant now. They put it up in the market, and the house may be sitting for a good couple of months, two months or so. Question comes out is you know, should I have told my broker? Actually, yeah, you should have, because there are a certain amount of days, every insurance policy, like I say, every policy is different, but an approximate average time frame is if the place is going to be vacant for more than 30 days, you need to have a vacancy policy or vacancy Perfect. clause added to your policy. Yeah. Um, Do they still call it a vacancy permit? I've heard them call it that. Maybe I misunderstood. Uh, not sure about the vacancy permit. They just permit. add it on though. Yeah, like they'll, they'll add it on or yeah. the, if you haven't had an existing policy on it before. Yeah they'll have a dedicated vacancy policy in place for it. Yeah. Yeah. I've had to do that uh, on multiple properties. Just if, you know, even if you were listing it for sale, right. And it's yeah. vacant, like I've, I've had to do it in that circumstance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, especially if it's sitting there empty. Okay. So what's the most common claim? Sewer backup. Sewer backup. And I can speak from horrible experience that that is absolutely <laughs> true. I mean, not that I claimed it, but just that it happened and it sucks. Yeah. Sewer backup. <laughs> and, and when people hear sewer backups, they go, oh, I'm on a septic system. Okay, that's fine. Septic backup. Yeah, well, it's considered. <laughs> I've had that happen it, too. It, it, yeah, they'll, they'll, oh, you're unlucky. <laughs> so the so what that actually even covers is you're simply your toilets backing up, uh, getting clogged and backing up. Mm-hmm. You know, and people don't think about this, but it's how often you know I think everybody can adjust, can can admit at some point in their life they've had a blocked toilet, yeah. and and if let's say this is your tenant's place, you have a multi-unit building, maybe you have. A, you know, you have you have a you have a, a two story building, and the top floor is rented out to a tenant. Their toilet gets backed up, um, and if that that can damage their unit, bottom unit, and possibly even if the, there is a basement there as well. So oh, yeah, that'll all fall under your sewer backup coverage. Okay, so if you have that, that's actually good to know. So it's not just sewer; it's it's yeah. toilet backups yeah. too. Um, I believe I do have that. I mean, I've had to, my policies have changed so many times because people don't like student rentals. Uh, but I do believe that I have that 
Um, and that that's one of those things. Like I've had it rain. <laughs> I've had it rain from the top floor. Like just oh man, whatever. I've had it. Pretty much everything to do with water and, and gross stuff has happened to one of my properties. And this is why. I mean, this is why you gotta have cash flow because otherwise you'd be you'd be out of the game. Makes and sense. as long as I can pay somebody else to get their hands dirty with that, because I I'm not. <laughs> um, okay, so. Uh, what are the ways to save money with a policy? I think we might have covered that, but yeah, yeah. So oftentimes people will, you know, uh, increase their deductible is one of the biggest ones, and the second is if you have multiple properties. Uh, sometimes people will have them insured at different companies and so forth for whatever reason. Um, if they're usually under the same name or the same corporation, you can just bu- you can just bundle them on, um, and you know, be able to utilize some of the some of the discounts that way. Okay, so bundling is, is one. Yeah. And then would you ever recommend to somebody that they don't do that um, replacement cost policy? Oh, no, I'd recommend replacement so, cost, hands down. Actual, uh, actual cash value, essentially, to break it down is that it is essentially the company giving you money to go buy a used, you know, a, a, a pretty much a used plywood instead of buying a brand new one. Yeah, that, that, it, it makes no logical sense to me. And I, I didn't even understand this, but one company I was working with, that was their default offering. I'm like, why would you offer that to me? Yeah. I can't replace the house for what it's currently worth. Right. I mean, I can't go buy a two by four 20 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and that's what they do. And again, goes back to my original point. Uh, unlike your standard like home and auto insurance, which is pretty uh, well regulated in the industry, your commercial and business insurance policies are not. Um, so they vary significantly from each each company. Yeah, you really got to do your homework. I just feel like that's you know on all fronts in this business talk to people and do your homework and uh, and know what you're getting into okay so i own residential properties so do i need a commercial policy this is a good question people are always under the assumption when i talk about commercial or business insurance they think that it has to be storefront or retail or something of the sort but that's not the case it's actually whenever you have a residential building that's generating revenue generating rental income it's a business and you know you can, if you have multiple properties, your standard home and auto insurance company may not be sufficient in regards to coverages, um, and it, and you would need end up. You know, they'll also have limits to how many properties you can add to those uh, to those policies. So in that case, you've technically, you know, you should be bundling them up under a commercial policy. That's exactly my experience. Like I've been over. I mean, I I started out with TD Malash Monets, and that just because they had an alumni program with Western. Eventually, they said no, we're not. You know, that's not our flavor. So. I ended up going, uh, you know, especially with the student stuff, you need, I feel like with student stuff, which we're, we're just about to get to a question about that, you really do need to work with a broker that understands that. And I think student stuff is is one of the most important, especially, you know, th- this this question was something I wanted to touch on today because it's a question about the differences between student and Airbnb short-term type, type rentals and what you need to do differently. Right. So, you know, this question, is, question comes, up, comes up quite often and it's because you're a landlord. Uh, doesn't mean one size fits all policy is perfect for you. Um, what you essentially need to do is talk to your broker and explain to them the type of tenants you're having in there. Um, you may be having your long-term tenants that you have a lease agreement with. Essentially, you know they're there for you know six over six months. Uh, that's one kind of you know there are certain companies that love that type of type of uh, occupants. They're great with prices on those. There's a certain certain batch of companies that prefer doing, you know, if you're doing short-term rentals, you're doing Airbnb and so forth, there's a completely different market that's competitive in that industry. Um, so have that discussion because let's say if you have students in there, for example, 
um and if you have students in there and you told them all oh, these guys they they stay here all year round so they're long term the students are considered their own genre and if you have students you need to let your broker know to let the insurance company know yeah. that you have students cuz if there's a significant let's say slip and fall claim during an ice storm some of the students slipped and uh ended up injuring their you know got injured they end up lawyering up you get end up getting a call you end up getting a papers notice you call your insurance company hey i'm getting you know liability lawsuit put forth they open their file they see that you told them you know i'm doing i have a family here long term tenants but it's actually students they can walk away from it okay yeah and that's so no one no one wants to be in that position where you're getting your claim denied um and 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 with students on that note i specifically cuz i'm paranoid cuz i've been burned with many things as my viewers and listeners know I actually make sure that it says student right in the policy. I, I want full disclosure. It's not enough in my mind just to disclose. I want to see it in writing from the insurance company that they've acknowledged it because that that time where it comes up, oh, wait, we didn't know. You never told us. No, no, I'm not going to leave that up to chance. Right. I think this is really important. And, and that's why I wanted to have you come on and, and answer these questions. So I'm going to look up. I've got a few questions here that I marked here to... Uh, uh, to follow up on, okay, so there's so many Facebook posts from landlords of tenants trashing their places, either through negligence or vandalism. Is there an insurance against that? Yeah, there's there's actually a few products, very limited, and not, it's not a standard coverage, but it's one of the companies that we work with. Um, there is coverage called vandalism by tenants. Um, if it's done maliciously, um, you know, wear and tear doesn't is not covered underneath there. Uh, but if it's done maliciously, you know, in these days, I think it's fair to say. Um, that there's a lot of tension between landlords and tenants. I think it would be a safe, especially this year. Um, and let's say if you, let's say you got into, you, you put forth an eviction notice to your tenant, things suddenly go from great to sour really fast. Um, they end up spray painting the walls, you know, with some colorful words against you or, you know, damage up the place. You can actually put in a claim for that. Okay. Now, and then that would all come down to personal preference if you want to put in a claim for that. I feel like that's one of the ones I wouldn't. But if they turned on all the taps and plugged the drains, <laughs> that's something that would probably destroy your entire place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's one of those. Well, so you can get insurance against there is, that. There intentional is malicious damage. Exactly. Yeah. It, are there a lot? Do most policies not cover that? Uh, they don't. Okay. The majority of policies don't cover it. There's only a few markets that, yeah. that, that, um, uh, that have access to that. Or as being one of them. What? So um, that's interesting. I, I mean, I don't, I don't ever anticipate that would happen. And of course, the students are liable, so they'd have to be really stupid to do that. But if they accidentally overflowed the toilet and it destroyed the place, is that covered? Uh, that would be covered if I um, have sewer backup. It, well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Good to ask these questions, right? Don't want to be surprised. Okay. So let's see here. Uh, Rob sent a question. When you're completing a secondary suite conversion, are you required to take out a builder's risk policy since the property is vacant through the construction? Well, I think we already covered that. So yes on that part. I have been doing this for my projects, conversions, and flips. However, I'm hearing from other investors that they aren't having to take out a builder's risk policy and they're averaging paying 110 to 140 a month uh, under a landlord insurance policy, whereas the builder's risk policy is 400 a 600 a month. I will comment that I've had like say TD and cooperators both at one point told me, yes, just this one time. And they gave me an okay one time uh, and then they cut me off. So maybe that's what 
what he's hearing? Have you heard of uh, the same? So I actually had this question about two days ago, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so like I mentioned earlier in, in our discussion is that a lot of landlords kind of get under the assumption that they're automatically covered for renovations um, and they don't have to notify their insurance company. Um, that's, that's again, you sh- any sort of discussion you're having with your broker, I recommend it being, you know, if you have it over the phone, make sure it's in writing that and make sure you outline the scope of work that you are doing so that you know there's you're protected in case of a claim that you have notified them and yeah. so forth um but but to your to the to the to your viewers question yeah, yeah you actually should notify you should notify the insurance company and they may make an exception to saying you know for minor renovations but usually when when these companies find out that those that you're doing major renovations they they'll usually automatically say sorry we can't cover it that's obviously something where you just said it and i feel very strongly about that get it in writing yeah get it in writing i say that with the city too anything you deal with the city if they tell you you can do something get it in writing right uh if it is if it's not in writing it didn't happen okay so what should i be looking for when shopping around for home insurance do you do home insurance yeah, yeah okay I'm sure so um, you want to answer that one first sure um so, okay there's a couple things one i always recommend um get make sure your coverage is adequate some of this law some of the things i recommend to check on your policy uh water damage coverage which includes sewer backup and overland water just check that it's covering you for the full limit of the policy uh sometimes i've seen policies that look really good on price point wise but when you look at the sewer backup coverage it's like it's minimum amounts of coverage in the market i've seen higher deductibles i didn't know yeah. that they didn't have the full coverage but they'd say like a twenty five thousand dollar deductible or something on sewer backup i've seen that usually for flood oh that's flood okay yeah. okay so and then is tornado covered is that, that the same yeah, and those things those things are standard coverage uh, they're standard, standard coverage, coverage. Yeah. Okay. so like things like you know um sewer backup let's talk about this one um you may just see like companies may go your house may be reconstruction valued at five hundred thousand, but the sewer backup limit may just be you know, 50,000. And off the top of your head, you may go, well, 50,000 is more than enough. But if you go, if you talk, if you revert back to the example of the top unit, you know, oh, having yeah, a that's flood, not enough. You're, you're 25, you're 50,000 is going to run, you're going to run through it really fast. Yeah. I mean, to a certain degree, I guess I've just come to accept some of these things. I've seen the worst of it. I mean, I know I could get, <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I could always get worse, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I haven't gone that far, but I do have, I do have sewer backup coverage. Okay, so what are the most common mistakes you see investors make getting home insurance? So I guess he he is referring to uh, rental property uh, okay. insurance. So so there's this is great. I'm just going to elaborate a bit on this. So when you're purchasing, let's say, home insurance for rent for your tenants, essentially you're being a landlord. Um, there's three types of policies out in the market. You have your standard landlord's policy, where it's a finished home. You have a family moving in; they're staying in for a year. You have your standard rented dwelling policy. That's one type. Once the place becomes vacant, let's say they leave, you need to, for a long term, you're not going to have it tenanted anymore. You're planning to sell it. You're waiting for winter time to pass so you can list it in the summertime. Um, at that time, you need something called a vacancy policy, right? The, and let's say you decide to evict your tenants and do a full-out conversion or a full-out renovation. Um, at that time, you need a course of construction policy, also known as builder's risk. So those are the three types of policies. Um, and they all vary in premium significantly. Great uh, summary. And then to wrap up, let's talk about wrap up insurance. <laughs> Good joke. Good joke. That was, that was actually uh, pretty on point. Uh, okay. So wrap up insurance is something I actually just learned about. So 
that's a add-on to a builder's risk policy yes. to protect you against um, liability down the road if, if say you built something sold it and then say your stairs were improperly installed is that right like if yes yeah, if, if somebody hurts themselves down the road and wants to come back to you yes yeah, so similarly if let's say one of your trades did fail to carry fail fail to carry adequate insurance um and you got named in the named in the named in the uh, lawsuit uh, in the claim okay um because even though you might have subcontracted that that out your wrap-up policy will pretty much income like they say wrap up everybody uh, under a blanket coverage it's just a, a an added layer of protection exactly yeah okay so i think we've covered it all is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we uh we wrap up uh no i think it's uh i think i always recommend talk to your insurance broker have yeah. open discussions um and don't be afraid because we as brokers are licensed by license required to assist our clients we yeah, so you represent the, the client we represent first. the clients exactly is it a joint representation between the the, the client's and the insurance company not when we're finding your insurance policy okay so good to know on where would people reach you if they want to reach out to you directly uh well the best way would be to reach out to me on either add me on facebook uh would be great uh, uh you can just search um on japan while over there or you can actually just reach me on my website theinsurers.ca okay so i'll get you to send me those i'll put those in the links uh the description cool. of the podcast or if you're watching on youtube it'll be in the description so that you can reach out to on directly if that's what you'd like to do on thank you so much for doing this thanks so much Andrew. i really appreciate it being here thanks for tuning in to today's episode please make sure to share this episode far and wide help it help more people i really appreciate you tuning in thanks i'll see you on the next one mm-hmm.